Now to get a look into Korea in history, in the modern history of Korea, this is Make It Korean. Of course, joining us in the studio, as he always does, is Professor Ben Engel uh, in the studio. Welcome back. Uh, good to see you once again. Glad to be here. So uh, last Saturday, right, uh, this is September 9th, you had uh, North Korea celebrating its uh, National Foundation Day or Founding Day. I believe it was the, the 75th anniversary. Uh, of course, obviously one of the uh, important holidays in Korea. You have uh, the birthday of Kim Il-sung on uh, April 15th, uh, the founding day of the North Korea's Workers' Party on October 10th. And uh, oftentimes when you have all this, you have all these military parades and happening and so forth. But what's interesting is that you have North Korea celebrating September 9th as the uh, National Found- Founding Day, uh, but it's a bit different for South Korea, right? Because you have uh, uh, August 15th, and so it's sort of odd that the two Koreas celebrate different days for Na- National Foundation Day. What is the basic issue, though, uh, behind the two Koreas having these two different anniversaries for the National Founding Right. So, of course, you can't have two different anniversaries without the division of the Korean Peninsula. And their history of division reaches back into the middle of World War II. Uh, From time to time, the leaders of the Allied powers, the U.S., Soviet Union, uh, U.K., and others, um, would get together to discuss how the international order was going to change after the war was won. And one such discussion happened in Cairo in November 1943. And in the Cairo Declaration that was jointly issued by the leaders of the U.S., U.K., and Nationalist China, which at the time was led by Chiang Kai-shek, not Mm -hmm. uh, the Communist Party, the Allies agreed that, quote, mindful of the enslavement of the Korean people, the three powers are determined that in due course, Korea shall become free and independent. Here, of course, free and independent was good news for the Korean people, right? We're going to have our own country. Uh, But the phrase that turned out to be the key was in due course. Um, And what this foreshadowed was the implementation of U.S.-Soviet trusteeship that was formally agreed upon later. Uh, President Roosevelt and Joseph Stalin of the Soviet Union met at Yalta in 1945, and there they agreed that Korea would be um, occupied by the two countries and that Korea would uh, be ruled by the two countries under a trusteeship agreement. And then we have, of course, the infamous division of the peninsula at the 30th parallel, Mm -hmm. uh, which was actually a very hasty uh, last-minute decision made on August 11th, uh, 1945, just a few days before the war ended. Yeah, and, and that's, I guess, the, the date that we often don't talk about, right? August 11th being when the 38th parallel, and although uh, that basically that line that, uh, I guess, par- the 38th parallel representing the division that we're seeing right now. So it's, it would seem then that the division of the peninsula was actually not originally intended <laughs> intention for the United States or the, the the Soviet Union, right? But nevertheless, like in 1948, though, uh, this is two years uh, before the Korean War broke out, you have the two separate Korean states being founded. What actually happened after the initial division in August uh, 1945, though? Right. So this wasn't supposed to be a permanent feature. Korea yeah, was yeah. supposed to be a unified country. Um, and uh, Stalin and Roosevelt during their meeting in Yalta never intended for Korea to be permanently divided. Uh, But nevertheless, they did agree on trusteeship. And so to work out the details of this trusteeship arrangement, uh, representatives of the U.S. and Soviet Union met in Moscow in December 1945. uh, And there they agreed that uh, trusteeship over Korea would last no more than five years and that a joint U.S.-Soviet commission would be established to uh, oversee the formation of this independent Korean government that would rule over all of Korea, not just one half or the other. 
And uh, but however, once news of this agreement uh, was um, heard by the Korean people, there was a lot of anger. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the Korean people, uh, understandably so, had just suffered through 35 years of uh, colonial rule under the Japanese. Um, after the war ended, uh, the Korean people had set up so-called people's committees throughout the country to kind of govern themselves in the p- power vacuum that uh, appeared with the Japanese exit. And uh, moreover, Korea had been kind of a self-governing country country for centuries before yeah. this, so they didn't think they needed to be ruled over by other people any longer. They were ready for their independence. Uh, so anti-trusteeship protests broke out uh, throughout the country after this uh, agreement was announced. So simply put, you went through all those years of being ruled by uh, Japan, and now the people are the, the people of Korea are hearing that now it's going to be ruled by a combination of the, both the United States and the Soviet Union. It's what we're looking at. So it's when you look at it in that context, it's weird, right? Because U.S. Soviet unions for the longest time they were sort of at odds of each other, and we know today that slowly after the Second World War, you know, the U.S. and Soviet Union began to really compete with each other during the Cold War. But were both the U.S. and Soviet Union competing in Korea as well? Because it seems like through this, it, they're trying to work together in some ways to kind of build up this Korea. Yeah, so it was an odd atmosphere, right? Even before World War II, we, uh, if you saw the movie Oppenheimer, for example, you know that there was a lot of fear of communism in the yeah, United yeah. States. Um, so there were, despite uh, being allies during World War II, there were a lot of people that in the United States and in the Soviet Union uh, knew that in the coming years that the two were going to be competing with each other. And this competition did uh, play out on in Korea as well. In North Korea, the Soviet Union initially worked with independent activist Joman Shik, for example, uh, but they quickly jettisoned him in late 1945. Joman Shik was an ardent nationalist and a Christian, so it uh, Found, the Soviet Union found it hard to work with him. Yeah. And in North Korea, the Soviet Union also instigated a land reform policy uh, where uh, large landowners, uh, their property was confiscated yeah. and uh, distributed to the, uh, the poor peasants who probably appreciated this policy. But um, at this point, people who were not on board with communism began to flee to South Korea, uh, leaving behind a political situation in North Korea that was very um, favorable to the communists. The same thing was happening south of the border. Once the United States Army arrived, uh, the United States military government outlawed the People's Committees that had sprouted up in the country and also the Korean People's Republic that was proclaimed shortly after the war ended by Yeon Hyung and other uh, independence activists. Um, the U.S. also began to sideline leftists from advisory groups that were helping them rule the, mm-hmm. uh, the southern half of the country. And then uh, in 1946, for example, an arrest warrant was issued by the military government for Park Hon-yong, who was a uh, leader of communists in South Korea, uh, and he was forced to flee to North Korea. Uh, so we can see by the two uh, superpowers trying to create environments that are favorable favorable to them in each half of the Korea, we get a kind of political polarization with communists heading north and uh, nationalists or rightists staying or heading south. And so that's I think that's one of those things that a lot of us... Um forget is that there was already a division even before the Korean War, right? I mean, we we always thought that, you know, most people kind of think that it was one Korea. And then uh, for some reason, the northern side of Korea had more communistic ideas and they were more influenced by uh, the Soviet Union uh, because of the close proximity. I guess they're closer to China and being closer to uh, Soviet Union, whereas the South, for some reason, uh, I guess had more of the the American idealistic, but there was always this division. But 
why is it, it the the is that also true? Because that's something that a lot of people are saying is because North Korea, that region, was just that much more closer. Or was it just kind of a a random uh, dealing where the Soviets were kind of like, well, you will take the northern part of it, whereas uh, you know you Americans take the southern part of it. Like, how did that separation even happen in the first place? I think it was just a, a, f- a product of geography. So when uh, the Soviet Union, uh, they had always been promising to enter the war against Japan mm-hmm. uh, during World War II, and they uh, finally kept their promise um, in the uh, late days of July 1945, and they began to invade right from the uh, far north uh, east of Russia down into Manchuria and down into North Korea. So it was easy for the Soviets to mm. enter Korea from the north. Uh, the U.S. on the other side had been fighting in the Pacific. Their closest forces were in Okinawa, which of course is far to the south yeah. of the Korean Peninsula. So it just made sense geographically to divide the country in half um, at the 38th parallel, um, and the north would go to the Soviet Union because it was closer. That's where their troops were already there, and it would be easier for the Americans to get to the southern half of the peninsula. And one of the important reasons why the 38th parallel was decided is because it cut the country roughly in half, yeah. but Seoul was in the southern half. So that's mm. one of the key reasons why the Americans suggested that that line. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's such a weird history in some ways if you look at it. And at the same time, you have two different countries. So polar opposite, right? The Soviet Union, the United States kind of, you know, going into uh, this Korea that's already divided even before the uh, the Korean War. But it does seem neither the U.S., nor Soviet Union were going to back down on from their goal of establishing this a friendlier, uh, a friendly government in Korea, right? So is this what kind of caused the permanent division of uh, Peninsula? Right. So as uh, we get into the early days of the Cold War, um, the U.S. and Soviet Union are supposed to be working together in this joint commission to establish a unified government in Korea. Um, but what ends up happening is that, that this commission uh, breaks down. And uh, here, the idea of trusteeship was really key. So um, as I mentioned, the Moscow Conference, December 1945, uh, declares that trusteeship will be um proclaimed in Korea, and there's a lot of uh, anti-trusteeship protests that are created throughout the country. However, the Soviet Union very cleverly tells leftist communists uh, to not protest the trusteeship arrangement, mm-hmm. uh, whereas rightist nationalists uh, were protesting uh, very ardently, especially in South Korea. And later on, the Soviet Union used this to its advantage. When the uh, Joint Commission was opened, the Soviet Union insisted that only political groups that agreed on the concept of trusteeship be allowed to participate in the formation of the Korean government. What this did was it basically excluded any group that was friendly to the United States and only allowed for leftist uh, pro-Soviet Union groups to participate uh, in this uh, uh, body. Uh, And so the United States, of course, was against this, right? It opposed Mm -hmm. this uh, Soviet proposal. And so the U.S. uh, declared its intention to delay the the Joint Commission. Um, And it it tried to cobble together a kind of uh, coalition of rightists and centrists, um, which just didn't work out. Uh, One of these key centrist leaders, Yeo Eun-hyung, who was responsible for uh, helping found the Korean People's Republic in uh, August 1945, he's assassinated. And so there really is no way to unite the Korean left and right to form this uh, united Korean government that might have had a chance of being pro-U.S. When the U.S. government realized this, they decided to submit the so-called Korea question to the United Nations, because the United Nations at that time is a very pro-U.S. body. Right, right. Um, and so uh, this essentially seals the fate for Korea's division. Back then, again, before this is all before even the Korean War <laughs> breaks out on June 25th, uh, 1950, but 
from what I understand from my previous studies, there was a whole lot of clash between uh, those that were pro-communist and those that were very much anti-communist, right? And so because there was at the time, of, people were able to freely travel within, you know, from North Korea, South Korea, South Korea, North Korea, and so forth. And so oftentimes what would happen is you have a lot of people, like you said, who were, who lived in the North that didn't like the communist idea that would, you know, head over to the South, whereas some people even in the South who said, well, we kind of liked the idea of communism because Korea was such a poor country that the idea of, you know, kind of fair share of things. And like you mentioned, there was a, what was it, uh, they gave out land. Uh, to to the peasants and so forth, it, it seemed very appeasing, and so you saw a lot of people go up. But there were a lot of clashes, right? Can we agree that there was a lot of clashes amongst uh, both parties at the time? Right. So there's a, a a big ideological battle amongst Koreans, and this begins uh, during the colonial era. Yeah. Uh, so we um, talked about last week about the Korean Provisional Government that was founded in 1919 after the March First Movement, and one of the reasons that that body was so ineffective was because that uh, many of the leaders. Uh, in this body uh, held different ideological beliefs, uh, capitalism, communism, socialism, um, and they couldn't really bring themselves to work with one another. So um, uh, this, uh, the Korean War, and uh, this is one of the key arguments for uh, Bruce Cummings' uh, history of the Korean War, is that this was very much a civil war amongst Koreans yeah, who had yeah. different ideological beliefs. That yeah, I mean, technically, it really, it's kind of like the civil war, North and the South, right, <laughs> fighting in one country, but. In some ways, because going back to the whole idea that Korea was a a very poor country, uh, would you say, and I guess we're playing the if game here, uh, if there was no direct influence of the United States and the U.S. never got involved with this and you saw uh, the, the influence of the Soviet very earlier on and just the idea that Koreans were very, very poor at the time and the, the idea of communism was very appe- uh, appealing for many of them, Korea as a whole could have easily become, if there was no separation of North and West, uh, South, Korea as a whole, would you say, could have easily been a communist country as a whole? It's very possible and probably likely. Uh, yeah. If we look at those people's committees that were formed in 1945 after the war ended, after colonialism ended, um, not all of them, but many of them were leftist inclined. Um, many Koreans were very uh, had very favorable outlooks about land reform, uh, mm-hmm. which was instigated first in North Korea. But South Korea also carried out its own land reform later mm-hmm. on. Right? These were uh, policies that were very popular amongst the people. Um, some of the reasons that... Um, the United States military government had problems in South Korea, had to do with um, uh, economic issues, not enough rice or rice prices being too high. And these right. caused riots uh, in Daegu, for example. Um, and so these economic issues were very much on the minds of the uh, vast majority of Korean people and socialism as an ideal. Right. As you were saying, uh, everybody gets their equal share would have been very attractive to many people. Um, and uh, this is one of the reasons why the U.S. Uh, had such a hard time in finding uh, political allies, why it had to, in many cases, work with uh, former colonial col- uh, collaborators, uh, because there weren't a whole lot of uh, normal Korean people who were going to be um, attractive to the ideas of um, capitalism, which uh, had been used by Japan essentially to keep them repressed all those years. Right. And even in South Korea, you know, during the, the Japanese colonial days, I mean, there were a lot of what's called like kojichons, right? Like the, the homeless villages. And so a lot of these people who were sick and tired of being just homeless, uh, there was a lot of, I believe there were some who became later on prominent uh, communist 
I want to say leaders, but uh, uh, you know, officials and so forth. Because just the whole idea that we can't now live now that we're liberated, we can no longer uh, live in a country where poverty is a thing. They could have used whole, the whole Japan thing as an excuse for poverty, but now uh, that's not an excuse anymore. So again, the whole idea of communism does seem very appealing for many Koreans. But the separation, it would seem that the two superpowers uh, were key in this so far permanent division of the Korean uh, Peninsula, again, Soviet Union and the United States. But what was the role of the Soviet Union in terms of establishing the North Korean state? Right? I mean, again, I guess they taught the communist ideas. And did the Koreans take a leading role uh, 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 from the, uh, the, the Soviet Union? Yeah, so I think this is something that the North Korean government tries to hide Uh, Because today we have this view of North Korea, Juche, right? Self-reliance. But in fact, the Soviet Union was uh, deeply involved in this establishment of the North Korean state. And um, uh, for example, in uh, 1947, uh, the North Korean constitution was first drafted by Koreans, but it was then sent to Moscow for approval. And Joseph Stalin himself uh, amended uh, parts of the North Korean constitution. And only when Moscow was satisfied was the North Korean constitution proclaimed. Um, other examples are the founding of the Korean People's Army, the KPA. Uh, Moscow gave North Korea approval to establish its own army. Um, and this was done on February 2nd, uh, 1948. Um, and this date, 19, uh, February 2nd, was actually celebrated as the foundation day of the KPA for many years. But in 1978, to cover up this fact that yeah. <laughs> uh, the Soviet Union had been so deeply involved in the establishment of the KPA, uh, the date of founding of the KPA was changed to April 25th, uh, which was supposed to be the day that Kim Il-sung first formed his uh, guerrilla units in yeah. Manchuria, uh, which nobody can, uh, of course, verify. And then, but uh, all, the ultimate symbol of Soviet influence is probably the Kim dynasty itself, right? Kim Il Sung, uh, in 1945, when he comes back to Korea after being away for almost his entire life, is a very young man, uh, unknown to many Korean people. He would have had no shot whatsoever to become a leader at that time. Maybe years later, after serving in the government or whatever, but becoming the uh, preeminent leader of North Korea in 1945 was impossible without the Soviet Union yeah. appointing him to his position. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, again, appointing appointment by the Soviet Union, but that's not what's being told uh, in North Korean history books, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he mirac- he's miraculously born in the, in the, the Mount Pekdu, and uh, you know he appears before the people all of a sudden as if he's uh, ascended from the heavens. And uh, that whole idea, the Chuche idea, is an interesting one too, because again, we know that it's based on communist idea, and so it started from. Uh, Lenin, Stalin, and so forth, and there was a lot of influence from both Lenin and Stalin, and but they kind of ignored that whole history aspect of things. And even the other I, interesting thing I think is the fact that the collapse of the Soviet Union is Russia now, and still they're very much an ally, uh, even though Russia is not a communist state. But September 9th is the date that we've talked about again. Uh, just last Saturday, uh, it is the 75th National Founding Day. What exactly happened? On September 9th, though, why is that day uh, remembered as the day of national founding? So the weird thing is that nothing really <laughs> happened. Um, <laughs> let's, take a, let's pick a random date and uh, call it the founding day. Uh, there were some things that happened adjacent to uh, September 9th. But um, so uh, the day that might be more appropriately 
be North Korea's founding day might be July 10th, 1948. That was the day that the North Korean constitution was officially announced. And uh, elections were called for the Supreme People's Assembly, North Korea's kind of Congress or what you have. Yeah. Um, And then elections for uh, the Supreme People's Assembly were held on August 25th, 1948. And uh, that body met for the first time on September 2nd. And on September 8th, North Korea announced that its constitution was in force over the entire Korean Peninsula. This is something both Koreas do, right, to try and... uh, assert their legitimacy over the entire Korean Peninsula. Um, but nothing really happened on September 9th that we that we know of. Um, but uh, the next year, 1949, on September 9th, uh, North Korea did celebrate uh, National Founding Day on that date. So there's a long history of celebrating on that day, uh, but nothing actually happened. And uh, some people speculate that the reason that September 9th might have been chosen as the Foundation Day is because nine uh, nine sounds good. So in North Korea, sometimes <laughs> it's referred to as Gugu Jo yeah, yeah. uh, or nine nine day. Right. Um, the same thing happened with the uh, the Workers Party Foundation Day. That was originally on October thirteenth, but it was moved to October tenth. So 10, we get 10. the same thing with ten ten. Ah, interesting, interesting. So realistically, the date has absolutely no significance uh, whatsoever. So kind of going back to the significance of these dates, again, you know, we talked about uh, the celebration of uh, Kim Il-sung, the the founding leader of uh, North Korea. Uh, You have uh, Kim Jong-il, right, that they also celebrate uh, his birthday. Uh, You have then the founding of the North Korea's Workers' Party. If you look at those three, and then we've now put the uh, North Korea's uh, founding day, how important would September 9th be on the uh, the North uh, North Korean calendar? So to the North Korean people, I think September 9th is a little less important. Uh, But September 9th is kind of an important day diplomatically because it's a day about celebrating the state rather than the party or the leaders. Uh, So it's kind of an opportunity for other countries to send envoys. So um, uh, this year we had uh, envoys from uh, China come on September 9th to participate in the celebrations. Uh, But the most important holiday in the North Korean calendar is, of course, uh, Kim Il-sung's birthday on April 15th. In North Korea, it's known as Taeyangjol, or Day of the Sun. Uh, The North Korean government typically gives out uh, more rations Uh, candy to children Mm -hmm. to celebrate the day. And then July 27th, uh, the day that the Korean armistice was signed, is celebrated in North Korea's Victory Day, which is another important day. And January 1st, uh, just like almost everywhere else in the world, New Year's Day is also a big celebration when uh, North Korean leaders typically give important speeches to outline policy for the upcoming year. I I am quite curious uh, because, again, going back to North Korea sort of trying to you know, hide the fact that uh, the, the whole idea of communism came from the Soviet Union, now Russia, uh, but making it look like it's something that was formed by Kim Il-sung himself. Uh, that does, I wonder if North Korea still, because they do call, uh, call themselves a communist party, right? Yes, the <laughs> Korea Workers' Party. Right, mm-hmm. so I wonder if anyone's going, wait a minute, wasn't communism started off by the Soviet Union and they started questioning? But yeah, I do agree with you. I feel like there's just, a, you know, talking to some of the, uh, the you know, North Korean defectors and things like that, they do often talk about uh, the birthday of uh, Kim Il-sung uh, being more significant, right? Because again, he is the reason why there was the foundation of North Korea in the first place, if you go back. But uh, it is interesting that, again, September 9th has absolutely no significance and it's uh easy i guess it's easy to remember i, I, I could I, I would not be surprised if they said when, when were we founded do you guys have any idea did anyone jot this down no uh but nine nine seems like a very good number let's just go with that all right next year boom uh that's exactly what happened so ladies and gentlemen again uh a very interesting uh, look into 
what is sometimes deemed, oftentimes uh, deemed as a very uh, sad history in Korea, uh, the division of uh, Korea. But uh, at the same time, there's a lot, I think, that many of our listeners overseas uh, have learned for the first time. Uh, Professor Engel, as always, thank you very much for giving us a history lesson. As always, have a safe rest of the weekend. Looking forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.